welcome back to the latest episode of the CJ Tour Podcast. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And on today's episode, I'm joined by my dad, Kerry Alexander, to uh, talk about the Oklahoma State football season, go over a little bit of what went good, what went bad, uh, season review, talk about the best quarterbacks all time for OSU, and then um, go back over kind of you know, basically flashback to 82, 86, figure out what were the best years to be a Cowboy, or is it comparatively 2010 to 2014 or 2019, 2021? And lastly, we're going to talk about next year for college football as well, too. So with all being said, Dad, how are you doing? Doing well. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that fun stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much for joining. I know you and I talk a lot about how you know, I wouldn't say we have like a ton of fandom for Gundy, at least when the season started out this year, you know, two and two, the season started out and we're both kind of like, okay, what's, what's going on with this three quarterback system? How's everything going? What's he doing? But, but besides that, and in and around that, I think we've been always pretty high on Gundy, at least when it comes to the end of the season, this is his eighth season with 10 wins, I think is what I saw, um, which is incredible overall. What, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about this season though? You know, it it was one in which I was excited at the first of the year, thinking we we had a strong team and we were going to come out and, and, you know, have some opportunities. I didn't, by strong, I meant um, a winning record in a bowl game. But I really thought, start of the year, that maybe eight and four was was kind of the ceiling. Um, if we if we really had a hard time, we might drop down to, to as low as six and six. Because I looked at the teams we played. I think I we talked before the season. I thought South Alabama and, and uh, UCF were going to be – um, our second and third toughest games with um, OU being the, being definitely the hardest game of, of the, you know, of the, when you look at it in advance and then after the season started, and if you, if you take it like four games at a time, 12 games until of course went to the uh, playoff, but the first four games, I think it was not only disappointing, it was kind of frighteningly disappointing. Like, is this it? I mean, are we really in a tailspin where NIL, you know, we had that one kind of great year it could look like in hindsight, where we had all those super seniors that came together and, and the team, you know, everything kind of just went just right in 21, had the big comeback against OU, um, missed by just a breath the uh, the Big 12 championship when we had our 200 and whatever pound running back decided to go uh, parallel to the, to the goal line for about five minutes instead of just turning his shoulder and, and knocking down the defensive, um, um, I think he was a cornerback that was, was on him, but he was about 30, 40 pounds lighter and just pushing, you know, a half a yard or a yard, we win that game because it was like an inch away. And then Notre Dame, you know, come back against them. I mean, that, that season was so special, but we had a unique year with all those super seniors and, and maybe this is it. And then the next four games, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're on fire. We're, we're, we may just, you know, keep getting better and better and who knows, um, sky's the limit. And then the last four games, you know, kind of mixed in some ways. Um, still really good. We we won what we needed to win to, to make things happen. But all in all, one of the most entertaining, uh, surprisingly fun and um, rewarding seasons that I, I can recall in, in quite a while. 21 is, is very difficult to beat, as, as, is, as is 2011. But beyond those two, possibly my third favorite season um, since the early years when we saw what maybe Gundy could do when we were winning some unexpected games back then. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think if I'm, if I'm looking at the season, like how it was going and then what my, you know, what my predictions would be halfway through the season versus when the season ended before the, and versus before the season started, there's just three different outcomes. 
before the season started, it was like, all right, you know what? I, I think we'll pick a, pick a quarterback. We'll be pretty decent. We'll be middle of the pack, Big 12. You know, hopefully get to the, the bowl game and then win a bowl game. And then after four games in, like you're saying, it's uh, is the sky falling and everything's doom and gloom. Gundy's got to go. Uh, I think I did a podcast with a couple of buddies saying, hey, this should be it. This should be his last season. Does he even get like go midseason right? Just kind of crazy stuff there because of the weird quarterback system rotation, playing his son some several snaps, which just, just doesn't look good when you're not winning games. If your son's playing and you're winning games, there's no ex- then, then then no one's saying anything. But if your son's playing and also in a three-quarterback system, then and you're not winning, it's going to look bad. Um, and then not pick, like not picking a quarterback starter, not having Ollie Gordon play really a lot of snaps through his first four games. In hindsight, it's like, what, what were we doing? Why couldn't we have figured that out a little bit better? But before the season started, if you had told me, hey, we'll be 10-4, and four, playing the Big 12 Championship against Texas, and then go and win our bowl game, I'd go, sounds great to me. I'll take that every day of the week. Awesome. Yeah, and it's um, it's funny. It's it's a season. I, I, I listened to a couple um, you know podcasts that uh, that just last night thinking about today that that gave kind of a, a mid season you know outlook on, on where we were at that point. And it's funny to hear you know in hindsight how the, how some of those commentators look at it now because it it did look like we had missed the boat completely. So much criticism of how we started the year and who we started and who we played. I, I don't know how Gundy was looking at this year. My guess is, I guess if, if I were in a million, you know, was in that situation, I would have thought we need to look at kind of a two or three year plan for where we want to be, you know, have a, have a season this year where we figure some stuff out, get better, and then really come on strong next year. And then away we go. And you've got Bowman as the possible quarterback. So if he's just butt head and shoulders above anybody else in, in, uh, in the time that he was playing before uh, the season started, um, great. He's our guy and let's just go with it. But if it's close, it's going to be difficult. I mean, you know, your son's playing there. You don't want to give him short shrift, but you also probably, he probably has to do more. You know, he has to be 55%, you know, to someone else's 45% for him to get the nod. And then you have Rangel who got thrown in the mix as a freshman. He was an early, you know, came to came to school early. He's been there for a while. And you want to, you want him to feel good with with uh, Flores coming in as as uh, like a redshirt quarterback. You want Rangel to feel good that, that he has a chance to win the job post Bowman if we if Bowman does end up getting it. And from what I can tell, Bowman was really rusty when um, when he was going through camp. So it wasn't clear that Bowman was a huge upgrade. And if we have offensive line problems and we're not sure about who's playing there, and that's how we ended last year, you want somebody with some mobility, which means and Gundy has a lot of mobility, but um, but Rangel has has quite a bit more than what Bowman has. So who do you really have out there? Who's going to be your team? And then as it played out, none of them took it over in that, you know, chopping up those games like they were. I don't know how you would, to be honest. That would be very difficult. But, and with Ollie, you know, we'll talk maybe more about this on a, on a separate topic, but he's got, he's got so much talent and such a tremendous player and personality, but you want him to develop the right way not just be, you know, thrown in and, and you know, really bad things happen and, and maybe he's not uh, doing the things he needs to do to, to, to be effective. And we don't know, for example, as, as fans, unless someone has a really good eye for it, is he doing things, the little things to, to you know, block for other players, to, to protect the quarterback on those kind of plays, those types of things. Is he really ready for that? And, you know, does he have, he has a big personality and has a big ego and he certainly has earned all that, but, Developing a player, was it the right thing just to say, you're the man from day one and, and let's let you go when we had a guy from Michigan State 
that looked like he was going to be a serious you know competitor. Nixon has done extremely well at times, including Nixon made the one play uh, of the season that that you know if he doesn't make it, I don't think we. Um, I think OU was playing Texas in the in the bowl, and OU's playing in a better bowl, and we're kind of you know we're not in a great bowl as it was last night, but it was good. Playing an SEC team and fun to you know the, see the uniforms against each other if nothing else. But you know how does that play out? So I'm not as critical of him seeing the arc of the season as maybe many, many were after like four or five games. Yeah, I know the one thing that I go back and forth with several uh, several different Oklahoma State fans that are not like myself, that came to Oklahoma State for sports media program or came from out of state and were previously big fans of just other states, you know, other schools, Texas, you know, wherever else it may be, that they don't they don't know the backstory of OSU football, like as well as you and I do. And they also didn't grow up with Gundy. Like I grew up with Gundy. He's the only coach I really, rem- I mean, I remember a little bit of Les Miles, of course, but not, but that's, that's it. I remember Les Miles and Gundy. I don't remember before then much at all of the Oklahoma State coaching staff. And so for Gundy, I'm like, okay, you're telling me all these different things, all these different stats where we are outperforming them on the football field, outperforming Texas, outperforming A&M. When you know, any A&M fan wants to hop in and just say, oh, you know, we've done this, this, and this, whatever, it's like, you haven't done anything. You left the Big 12. You got beat by OSU in your last matchup against us. And you haven't done anything since. I don't ever want to hear about AM being better than OSU over the past decade. That's just laughable to me. And how many head coaches can you go through? How many different things can happen crazily that are just, just weird? And yeah, you've gotten a lot of media attention because basically you had Johnny Manziel. And since then, I know, I know AM is the school that Kyler Murray transferred out of. You know, I mean, I, I know. I, that that's that's the biggest thing. I know they had Kevin Sumlin, and I know that you know basically John, Johnny Manziel was there causing a ruckus after he won the Heisman, and it's not even comparable. And when I think about the rest of the Big Twelve schools too, this this should be like our this should be our time as Oklahoma State fans to go. Okay, let's puff out our chest a little bit. This is our. I mean, we we finished second in Big Twelve, and we finished the best in the Big Twelve of all remaining Big Twelve schools. I mean, that's just that is what it is. And I would love for Gundy to get a little bit more credit for stuff, especially when I, I saw from um, guy on Twitter, uh, or now X, uh, Wes Lunt, he put this out, where Gundy and Oklahoma State had the lowest point differential of any 10-win team in the nation, where Oklahoma State won by four. What, you know, their average margin of victory was like the least amount of points and won by a total difference of plus 14 the whole season. So you talk about, okay, what... You know, I'm I'm always up in arms. With, oh, we're going to kick a field goal here. We it doesn't seem like a good call. But at the end of the day, maybe, maybe it always is. Maybe I should be just going. All right, you know what? Gundy knows better than me, and I mean, clearly he does. But also, I should give him a little more credit whenever he's going for a field goal, and I'm just annoyed by it too. Did, did you say Wes Lunt? I I think it's Adam Lunt. Actually, I'll have to look it up. It's not. It's not the former. It's not the former Oklahoma State quarterback. But uh, but I'll tell yeah, you that was the first. One of the first defections I can ever recall where it was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, kid comes in and, you know, we were watching, um, I watched Arizona OU last night, but I remember watching West Lunt in the season opener when um, um, played, I think, against here at Arizona. We had beaten the the Mike Stoops Arizona teams, I think, two or three times over a um, three-year period. And once in the Alamo Bowl that I went to with, uh, with your, uh, one of your younger brothers. And then we had um, we had the one home and the one away, and then, or maybe it was, but, but I know one of them, Rich Rod, 
uh, Rich Rodriguez was coaching Arizona, and Wes Lott was our starting quarterback, and we got out to a big lead, but he started as a, tr a true freshman, and then he he uh, transferred schools and went to Illinois, and I, I don't think he had much of a career up there, but he was on track to be, you know, Mason Rudolph or whoever, you know, we have. I, you don't know how high someone's ceiling is, but he was very well thought of, and um, so anyway, it was a, a blast from the past. Um, were you surprised last night that, uh, or do you think the plan last night for the or two nights ago when we played uh, AM in, in the tech, uh, Tax Act Bowl, do you think in a perfect world, Rangel was going to get a quarter of the game? We'd get up a little bit and play Rangel or maybe put him in in the middle to see kind of how he looked after halftime. Did you expect that to happen? I, I did, honestly, because of all the, all the, and the Twitter or you know stuff or whatever on Reddit and stuff that I read about Oklahoma State fans saying, oh, you know what, we should be killing them because AM isn't playing most of their team, basically. You know, they had they had three scholarship players on the team. The ESPN announcers drove me up a wall with all that information too. But with all that info, I did think, uh, you know what, this this should be a blowout. Like in the way the game started, heck, we you now have a touchdown on the first first drive of the game. I go, you know what? This is going to be this going to be easy. And second half, maybe we see the whole second half. We see Rangel or you know Rangel, and maybe we see a little bit of Flores because he. I I don't know how the redshirt stuff works necessarily. If you're, I, I've always understood it as there's a new rule with the redshirt. You can now play like three games, and once you play that fourth or fifth game, you can't. You know, it, it burns your redshirt. That's what happened with Leon right. Johnson. Where I don't know why we don't try to play Flores a little bit more often. Um, and blowouts, but maybe that's part of it too. Like we don't want the guy to get injured. We kind of like we were referring to earlier, earlier with Gordon too. You don't want to you want to just kill his confidence if we're not up by a lot and we're not in a comfortable position, you know, in games. And all of a sudden it's just like, hey, here are the car keys, and there's a semi truck driving at you. You got to get out in two seconds. You know, I mean, like the, the, there's just kind of just you know, the, the, they know the defense knows that you're new, you're you know the only guy too. We're not going to do that to you. But I did think, you know what? All right, we'll see Rain Gal. Because I didn't see a lot from him last year that I was just going, oh, okay, he's great. But to your point, he does move a lot better than Bowman. I know that for sure. And Gunner Gundy's, you know, in the transfer portal. Um, and transferring out. And then just to, just to follow up here. So on 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 X, I guess, it's Adam Lunt, 817 on, on X. And it's OSU's point differential for the season was plus 14. Lowest of any team with 10-plus wins in FBS and 10th in the Big 12. For context, the second lowest in FBS is Iowa with plus 44, and most are well over plus 150. Penn State, another 10-1 team, is plus 309. OSU is 5-1 and one in one-score games. So I just kind of puts that a little bit more in context here um, and to give them the proper credit there, too. It. It is, I mean, going back a little bit to, to last night's game and kind of, you know, thinking through how that, that played out and who the players were that made a difference and, and how far we've come and how the team looks different. I happened to watch the 2010 um, game, uh, OSU versus A&M. And before 2010, A&M was almost like Texas and OU with us. We rarely, we, we, Texas, we, we almost had never beaten in our history. It was um, just a couple here and there, much worse record against Texas than OU up till, up till like, you know, the 2000, 2005 era, and even really until close to 2010. And A&M was, was that strong against us too. And they were really, they had a ton of players. And in 2010, A&M had what they said at the time was their best quarterback in their history. And they race off to a 14 to zero lead. 
And, but we have this slobber knocking defense. We have, uh, you know, 2010, we have all the, the play, most of the key players that were going to be great in 2011. We're already there with Whedon at quarterback and, you know, on down the line with Blackman and, and, uh, and just tremendous players. But we had such a good defense that some of the guys that, that were so good next year, you know, were, were, uh, were emerging. And we had um, Emmanuel Ogba was the guy that just absolutely destroyed A&M and, and made it a very difficult game. And then we got out to a two-touchdown lead in the second half after being down by two touchdowns at halftime. And I look at how that team was, was composed, and I look at the talent, talent level and what we saw in the 2023 team. And, and maybe hindsight, I'll, I'll look back at it, and some of these guys will be giants. But if I look at that team, I see three or four real stars on that team, period. And it, a couple of them I thought might be guys like Stribling that got hurt early and didn't play or, or you know, players that, uh, that I thought had that kind of talent. And the, and the transfer we had, I think, from Washington State. But the, the stars, obviously, all in offense. I'm not sure who else I put up there on offense as, as a true star that will hold the test of time as somebody that people look back and say that was a great player. Um, defensive Bowman comes back and does all kinds of things next year. Who knows? But on defense, you know, Colin Oliver is, is a star and Kendall Daniels is a star. And I'd argue that Nick Martin um, is, I mean, he was so underrated and no, he wasn't even expected to be you know, one of the main guys, but that's about it. And on the, on the 2010 team, that ended up beating AM for the first time in, in years and years and all that good stuff. You know, there were so many defensive players that were giants, and there were so many offensive players that were. And I look back at some of these other great teams we've had. I think Gundy and the coaching staff did so much more with the limited talent that was there. And I think that in considering we have a brand new, very young defensive coordinator, it it all is a little bit remarkable that we had a, a season that we could enjoy as much as we did. And I know I want to I'm sure we want to talk about a couple of the games we enjoyed the most, but um, it, it, it's just a remarkable gift, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I put it in perspective, you know, you have a guy, Brandon Nardo, who comes in and, you know, basically through the first four games, it's like, we're going to give up 27 to South Alabama. You know, we're going to give up 34 to Iowa State, who last year was bad, but this year it turned out to be pretty good. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, Okay, oh my gosh, can you believe we're going to give up this many points to, you know, oh, excuse me, um, to Arizona State, we're going to give up 15, like they're they're that bad, but we're only going to put up 27, like how how bad are we? And I know there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the, the Bissell's Firing podcast, they, they are not a big fan at all of Casey Dunn, they are not a big fan of, you know, his play calling that type of stuff, but I, I think about it this way, you got to work with what you got. And yeah, you know what? I'm I'm sure this Oklahoma State team would be a little bit better if Spencer Sanders was quarterback this year. I'm 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 just I'm just sure of it. Yeah, you have a guy who's probably going to win you two more games this year, but is he going to win Bedlam? You know, I mean, is he? It's right. Yeah. So is he going to is he going to win that game, or is he going to make some? You know, just I mean, a couple. Honestly, he's just careless with the football. His interception turnover ratio was was rough. Is he going to get banged up during the season where it kind of happened the same as last year where, you know what, maybe we trade – if we have Spencer Sanders a quarterback this year and all of a sudden then we're, you know, off and we're – I think we played OU in our eighth game, so we're, we're 7-0, and and then all of a sudden we play OU, Sanders gets injured, and it just happens like last year where it's like all big downfall again because, you know, he, he, just, he just gets injured. And, uh, you know, a lot of respect for that guy and how much he gave – for OSU's program, and I want to talk about the best OSU quarterbacks of all time in order here in just a second, too. But 
because he doesn't come back and you've got this weird quarterback rotation system and what you talked about earlier too of Bowman threw like a handful of passes at Michigan and he'd been there for a while at Texas Tech. He had, you know, last time it started was I think in 2017. He's going to have a ton of rust. And so finding which quarterback's best, finding how the O-line can fit with them and work well, and then figuring out which running back's able to also kind of platoon in too. There's just so much stuff where, you know what, I will knock Gundy. Like, okay, we shouldn't have lost South Alabama. But if that's the only loss we had, and we had lost, you know, going into Bedlam, and we had just lost to basically South Alabama, but we had beaten, yeah, excuse me, we just lost to Iowa State going in, it would look a lot better. Because we're, I mean, we, we blew out, quote-unquote, you know, a couple of teams, but basically we only blew out um, Cincinnati when you really look at it. The rest of the, score, the rest of the scores from every game, it's like, yeah, we, we pretty much blew out West Virginia, but it still was a 12-point, or excuse me, a 14-point win. It wasn't like a true just, oh, my gosh, 50-20 to 20 type of deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and some of, the, some of those games, I'd say we have probably – at least one, if not two, of the most disappointing games I can recall in, in, in Gundy's history. And you know, he goes back 18 years now. And the first year, we didn't expect a whole lot. He inherited some talent, but he cleaned house. He really, there was a, a ton of players that that had tremendous talent uh, that, that were let go because of, of issues off the field. And the kind of players that, for whatever reason, OU seems to find a way to keep them on their roster I'm um, almost like Tyree Kill. I mean, you 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 look at him, I and mean, that's been something that's it's always been kind of aggravating to me. That's not talked about a lot is that OSU does clean house when when kids when they have a hard time, and and, that, and usually they give them a chance as long as you can. But if someone does something awful, and Tyree Kill punched his his, his girlfriend, and there was a court case out of it, and uh, she was pregnant at the time, and uh, horrible situation, and and he was let go. I mean, hindsight, what would have he been like in that extra year? And you, know, you look at that compared to Joe Mixon and, and just caving in some gal's face at a sandwich restaurant. Um, and, and he finds a way to play and stay on the, you know, and, and Dusty Dvorak's a great announcer now, but I mean, he had an awful fight, which was, um, you know, guy sliced up a teammate with a, with glass from a, a broken pitcher and just all kinds of things, find a way to stay on. And there's, there was just player after player like that. We haven't, and Gundy did not at first to his credit and he set the tone the right way. And he stayed with that. There was a couple of players that throughout the year, we had one defensive um, uh, linebacker that was accused of something in Texas, a rape in Texas that um, looked like it was going to fall apart because he, he may not have even been there. And then end up, when he ended up uh, getting charges being filed, Gundy let him go, even though he was the centerpiece of the defense. So Gundy started off, and I don't think that, that the losses we had early were too big of a surprise because he was building, you give him a chance. Once he got it rolling, we really haven't been in that many games where it looks like we have no chance to, to come back. And boy, that that uh, Central Florida game was absolutely abysmal. I mean, just abysmal. It, in the K-State game last year, a year ago in 2022 was like that. We've had a few of those real stinkers that we never saw before where we're just not in the game. And, and uh, South Alabama was the other one that, that I thought was just difficult. But then again, we had a couple other games where we were we were blown out. Looked like all hope was lost, like against Houston, and oh my gosh, against Brigham Young. I mean, you, you and I were at that game with uh, with your youngest brother Luke, and and we were you know we're watching the fans at halftime, and people are clearing out. I mean, people that have sat around us for for years, we've had the same seats for over a decade, and 
you know, people are clearing out and going home. And you come back and the stadium is half empty and it's it's raining harder. It's miserable. We're behind, not showing any life. We also saw some of the biggest comebacks we've ever had and, and the most heart by any teams. So it was kind of a strange year in, in ways that um, both on the negative side where you just go, what what's going on? And then on the positive side, where you go, how could that have happened? And when you if you ask my kind of bottom line opinion on the season and kind of where we end up, it all kind of starts and ends with the OU game. If we lose that game, I don't know how I look at the season, to be honest. We could still play Texas A&M and be not, all that stuff. But um, we certainly wouldn't be in a Big 12 championship. And we would have had to watch them all season celebrate. But the way we pulled it off, can you imagine anything being more excruciatingly painful for OU fans <laughs> that we have fussed with all these years than, number one, to watch us win you know, two out of three of the, the last Bedlam games and this this decade, you know, we uh, we we were two and zero against um, Texas in the regular season, and against OU we were two and one. So winning four out of five of those regular season games, and of course losing to Texas in the in the, uh, in the championship game, but winning four out of five of the regular season games against those two teams that are leaving, that's not a bad way to send them off. And then that game itself was was kind of funny in hindsight. There were, certainly was the call on on Stoops in the end zone that, that could have been a penalty that OU fans are going to flip out about forever. But that's kind of fun, too. That gives them that, that means they will remember this game, and it will stick with them for a long time having that kind of stuff. The real truth behind that is Stoops looked like he was had a foot out of bounds before that ever happened. It may not have counted, even if, even if they had to review it. He might have been out of bounds for the penalty. And if there was a penalty, the ball wasn't going to be placed at the two. Due to the rules, the ball would have been placed about the 16, 17-yard line. And OU had been there before and kicked field goals. So... There's no guarantee that would have changed anything any more than a couple of the calls where their their defensive backs were holding our receivers who were breaking free and could have gone the distance, you know, in the first half. But it made it miserable. And then the the final game of the season against Brigham Young to see us come out and just lay an egg and look so bad and just be excited about the possibility that, oh, we're going to go play Texas again and look out. Here we go. And then coming back all the way and then missing that extra point. So instead of having a four point lead with like less than a minute left or about a minute left, whatever it was, we have a three point lead. Oh my gosh, there's a chance that, you know, they'll come back and do it. But it's still kind of remote. And then it goes to overtime and then we win there. That had to be just the most painful, difficult way. And we know that as OSU fans, we've lost games like that. So it's kind of nice to know that our Bedlam uh, partners in the state, that they end their big 12 career against us you know, with, with a loss against us and then watching us play in the, uh, in the big 12 championship game. Well, um, you know, they're, they're at home. That, that to me, that to me turned the season from um, a good one to a great one. So I'd go with great for this year, um, unexpected. And I would say that it sets us up real well for a tremendous year next year. Totally agree. Could you could not have said it better or something up better myself? Um, no, no notes there at all for you. So uh, with that though, I also want to ask you, you know, basically, Let's go, let's go to the uh, the flashback um, to 82-86 and talk about OSU's previous years and then talk about the quarterbacks here um, and then next year uh, before we wrap up. So wanna, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Of course, you were, in, you were at OSU, as I know, 82-86. Um, what, what's your thoughts here? Do you think you know those were years? I mean, of course, Barry Sanders on the team, went to Heisman, but now watching the the bye-bye Barry doc on, on Amazon Prime, I learned way more about how – um, 
non-media friendly, I guess Barry Sanders was. I, I don't know what the right terminology is exactly. Like he, we, there's no shots of Barry Sanders, you know, on the Heisman Trophy stage getting the Heisman because he was in Japan playing a bowl game, which everyone thinks bowl games are crazy. I can't believe in the 80s, bowl games were happening in Japan with air travel being not as widely accepted as it is now, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I could go on about it, but what, what, what are your, I mean, I'll just ask you, I mean, you also put in here in the notes, I mean, of course, you know, in baseball, having Robin Ventura and Pete Gavia and then Scott Verplank and Garth Brooks be on campus as well, too. What, what, what are your thoughts here comparatively? Looking back at that time, I think how lucky we were. Not only did I meet your mom, which is certainly, a, um, you know, yeah. and, and that was, that was a, a neat plus to, to be able to, to have that in common. By the way, could care less about football games. So that is not something that, that she associates with. But um, but it was it was a, you know great time to be on campus. I was a huge OU fan because my parents were. They went to all the games, and then about the I guess my junior year of of um, high school, I was in in Stillwater for 4-H events. And until then, I just made fun of OSU and was, you know OU was everything. And my parent, my dad was a car dealer. He supplied cars. Um, to the coaches, not to the play, but he supplied uh, cars to the coaches. And OU was bigger than, bigger in Oklahoma than the Dallas Cowboys were in Texas. I mean, it just, it was these, it was the the team for everything. It was the most uh, significant team. And they, and they came off of, you know, the 47 game win streak and national championships. And they were so big at that point that it was hard to even think about going anywhere else if you're a sports fan. But when I got to campus, um, Everybody was pretty nice. It was a nice place to be, and I kind of enjoyed the, the people better, and I felt like I fit in so much so that um, that's where I went and where I, I spent four years. But I never dreamed I would have a lot of fun going to football games, and that would be a plus because OSU was bad then. I mean, just flat-out bad. And it then after one kind of miracle year in 1974, OSU had, had hardly won a game before that or, or you know since World War II and hardly won a game after that. And during my four years, OSU did not beat OU, but we were highly competitive. When I got there, Jimmy Johnson was the head coach. It was Jimmy Johnson's first head coaching opportunity. I mean, he went from OSU winning championships at Miami to winning um, Super Bowls in Dallas. Those were his three jobs, Cowboys, Hurricanes, Cowboys. And so it was neat to have – we didn't know how good he was at that point, but, uh, but he was good, and he elevated the talent level and the expectations. And then um, after, after he left – Pat Jones came in and we, we had, a, we had great rosters. And I think the highest rated Bedlam game ever was 1983 or 84 when the teams ranked two and three in the country. And so to go from attending OSU in the fall of 82, thinking this is going to be a disaster to two years later, senior school in the top three in the country with nationwide, you know, stakes and, and just all kinds of stuff was fantastic. And then, and then to see the, see the Leslie, the best players during that era, the three best players that I was there for, were definitely um, Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas by a long shot. But uh, Leslie O'Neill, one of your former Charger uh, players back in the day, um, Leslie O'Neill was the best defensive player, and he was just a monster. And there were others, too, that were around that were really, really good. So football was fantastic. It wasn't as good as it could have been. A couple passes here or there, we would have you know, had you know, that, all that stuff. That's, that's sour grapes. But we were close in football. And in basketball, we won the only Big 12 championship from, I think, the days of IBA until, you know, a decade or so after that Big 12 championship. I think we went to the, the tournament and lost to maybe Princeton in the first round, something like that. I mean, it was um, disappointing that way. But baseball, the team was so dominant with the player of the century, Robin Ventura. Pete Cavillo was such a monster back in those days. 
you had John Smith in wrestling, so our greatest wrestler ever. So, in you know, there's a strong argument to be made that the greatest uh, players in every sport, every major sport, and Scott Verplank wasn't far behind. He wasn't the greatest golfer ever, but he was uh, player of the year that year. But in the three kind of major sports that I watch, um, baseball, uh, well, basketball too, I guess, not in basketball, but baseball, football, and wrestling, we had the, the best players in the sport ever. And then as an added bonus, I wish I could say that I went to, to you know, Willie's or some of those places and watched him play, but Garth Brooks lived across the street from me and was on campus at the same year. So you, you've got some pretty legendary people there and it was a pretty special time. So I'd, I'd have trouble saying that any other era would top that that I can think of during my lifetime. Although there are a couple of those, you know, when the Big 12 football championship in 2011, you get Marcus Smart and some of these great basketball players, Eddie Sutton's years when he was so good, and you know, John Smith when he came back to coach, we had national championships. You had all those things going at different times. But just for one snapshot, that that one I think is pretty special. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's able to top that, especially from like the OSU OSU fandom wise. I mean, just so many guys you just talked about at OSU who make huge names for themselves after leaving OSU and also when they're at OSU too. Um, so, so yeah, I have, I have a hard time disagreeing with that whatsoever, but you comparatively to, to 2010, 2014, you, know, you talked about it, the, the success with football on the field, success with basketball, making some postseason tournament runs well, having smart on campus, high draft pick. And then 2019 to 2021, I mean, you have the NBA's number one overall draft pick. You have a big 12 championship appearance in football. You know, I mean, there's, you know, you basically had a deeper postseason tournament run, um, with Cade. On campus too, I just uh, it, it nothing compares to eighty two, eighty six. I mean, I still think that's going to be the, the golden era, but but hopefully for you know talk about next year, hopefully it's only going to get better. So, also want to ask you about the the best five OSU quarterbacks of all time in order. Do you want to go one through five or five through one? How about five through one? Okay, all right. Let's let's do five through one. So, you want to you want to go and start it off here with uh, number five. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make, I'll give a couple honorable mentions that didn't make okay. it and then I'll do go number five. So the two that didn't make it for me were um, J.W. Walsh, which I thought was incredibly strong at times. And he was, you know, uh, he played in some very big games, even when he wasn't starter, he was um, um, part of the team that ran off 10 straight wins one year and a bunch, another year. And he, I mean, he, he was uh, an incredibly solid player that was all for the team. The other one that I have as an honorable mention is one that'll probably get lost to the uh, history books is, is Clint Shelf. Uh, he had some surprise. He was supposed to be the kind of scrappy guy that could run and, and scatter around quite a bit. And he, he's the guy that came in against that the, the Baylor game. And I forget what year it was. I think it was like 2012, sometime during that stretch. But Baylor was ranked number three. And if I recall, one or two of the teams ahead had lost that weekend. So Baylor was headed towards um, a number one ranking in the country. And OSU blew him off the field because of Clint Shelf. And he had several other games like that that were good. So Clint Shelf, I thought, was out there, too. After that, I, I, I struggle a little bit with who would be the, the next one up. I'm going to throw out a, um, a name that barely made the list, Tony Lindsay. He was there in 2000, and he had, um, you know, not, not great talent around him. He was from Colorado. But um, during the time he was there, I think he had, he had over 4,000 passing yards, and he was Big 12 Freshman of the Year and, and had some really strong games. So I'll have him as fifth on my list. All right. Yeah, no, I, I – excuse me, I've done some research here too. And, yeah, Tony Lindsay, 
um, you know, two and three, um, you know, went to the Big Twelve, his senior season in two thousand. But um, I mean, you know, he's he's yeah, two and zero start, and I mean, basically he played incredibly well from what I've read too. You know, freshman of the year honors as well too. So uh, big big points, big ups to him. And okay, I, so- I I well, I also say with 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 Clint Shelf. I I've I've forgotten that he you know he did come in you know against against Baylor he had a 370 yard four touchdown game against Denver uh four touchdown game total touchdowns against Baylor there too so he um you know he came up but he was basically mop up duty behind Whedon on the depth chart and then unfortunately he doesn't make it out of the first quarter in 2013 with an injury but in 2012 he went six and two and was just pretty darn incredible and a lot better than than we thought he'd be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, after this, there are a couple that, 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 I mean, it's it's really difficult to pick who I would have um, next up on the list at, at fourth. I'm going to go with Zach Robinson <clears throat> as fourth, and he, he was another player that, that really turned the corner. He was there in the late 2006 through 2009 timeframe. He had 8,300 8, passing yards. Which um, you know, back then that was we we had some guys that exceeded that, but uh, but I'm sorry, he had six thousand um, ninety passing yards. He he had other guys that came in had eight thousand yards after him, but he was really good. He was a great dual threat. We had a couple um, things that might have gone differently that, that would have elevated him even higher. He was the quarterback when we hosted Georgia and beat them, and Des Bryant was on the cover, and then Des Bryant got suspended for his final season. Des Bryant, I don't know who you could even compare him to. The greatest receiver in our history, in my mind, is, is Blackman, hands down. He, he was so dominant, turned games around like that Stanford game where down by two touchdowns, and then he just takes it over. I mean, and then the, in the, um, um, what was that, the Fiesta Bowl years ago in 2011. But Des was suspended. Without that, it, it, it's hard to even imagine how good we could have been. He had a couple good receivers with like a Darius Bowman and he played at the same time as Kendall Hunter, but he, he was part of those teams that turned the corner and we started getting after Texas and we started becoming, um, you know, really competitive on a year by year basis. And his record was, was a strong record, 23 and, and 13, even though there were some seasons that had lots and lots of injuries to him, but um, really good player. So I'd go with him as number four. Yeah, that's, that's who I have is, is number four as well. And it's just because I kind of have, I've Josh Fields at three, um, because he won a Bedlam Hero, but but yeah, I mean Robinson. If Robinson plays today, you know he's he's probably known as uh, way better than he than he was because I think his play style fit more in that kind of dual threat type of you know quarterback style, more mobile, et cetera. But I mean, he was uh, twenty three and thirteen for OSU, and just just incredible. I mean, eighty he was responsible for eighty eight touchdowns, um, and just just incredible overall. Yeah, and, and you you mentioned um, you mentioned Josh Fields. I I should have had him in the top five. I, I would definitely have placed him up a little bit higher had I thought about that. I I, I do overemphasize the um, the Bedlam wins. And if you beat OU twice, the one the first time you beat OU was um, was the year after they had um, won the national championship. And if they beat and they were playing in Norman, and if OU wins that game, they're going to the national championship game that year. And that was it. That, that was it. They win. They go to the national championship game, and Fields comes in, and he he was he was a baseball player first. He was a tremendous baseball player, and he played in the pros and was was really good. But he was more of a, I mean, he was a highly rated football recruit. But he was so good in baseball, 
And he, 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 that, that changed the whole concept of the program, his wins there. We might've gotten our first Nebraska win under him too. The teams were about 500, but those were the years that, um, that we, you know, Miles was there and we started kind of getting things moving up and just before Gundy and he, she should have been in my top five. So good, good catch there. Yeah. He's just, he's, he's the one who like, I would say got me into OSU football because I remember going to that 02, you know, back-to-back Bedlam games. I remember going to the one in Stillwater, I forget which year it was, um, with you and just being over the moon about how awesome it was to see OSU pull off a game against OU, win, and then go to school the next day and being one of the few kids who ever wore orange just because, I mean, uh, OU, one, their mascot's a bandwagon, so they're going to have a lot of bandwagon fans. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and with that being said, like, anyone who's, you know, if you're an elementary school kid in Oklahoma, you're wearing OU stuff unless you're, you know, born into an OSU family like I am. And that was cemented it of like, okay, now I'm finding the other OSU fans here, you know, at Nicholas Hills Elementary trying to look around and go, yeah, hey, head nod, you know, yeah, all right, we won. You know, kind of puff out the chest a little bit too when you're in second and third grade because it's like, all right, we've got, we've got a guy who could win it. You know, we've got a guy who always gave us, gave us a chance, like you said, in the Gundy era. I mean, Josh Fields always felt like we had a chance during those seasons as well, too. Well, he was a guy, and uh, the, probably the number two receiver in, in the history, of, as far as I'm concerned. And we had some really good ones when I was there, too. We had a couple. One guy was a number one um, first round draft pick um, that went out, but we, um, but Rashawn Woods was his receiver, and he's the one who made one of the big catches in the in the first Bedlam win. But the next one was the fun one. Oh, you've been bragging all year about how it was a fluke and we're just going to crush you. And it, it just watching him lob, he, he, he was great at the lob pass. Throw it up to a, a great receiver, let him go get it. And we had player after player who could do that. But Rashawn was the first and the best at doing that. And he was so unstoppable. And I think in, in the, I think the, the, the joke afterwards was, um, you know, he's still open. You know, you just say that anytime you want to say it. He's, Rashawn Woods is still open. And Mike Stoops was just beside himself on the sidelines. And it was just one play after the other. And we were up. I can't remember how much we were up. We had a tendency to go wait. The, the few games like that that we we won, we like even in twenty eleven. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, in twenty eleven, we would go up by like four or five touchdowns, and then just kind of coast in, and they'd get three touchdowns. You know, at the end of the game in, in nonsense time, and instead of us winning forty five or fifty to you know to three, it would be sound a little bit closer. But um, we were so far up in that game, and it was it was because he was he, he knew the offense, knew how to play it, and and he was a he was a competitor. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and you know, you know, I forget about Josh Fields too. He ends his career at Oklahoma, with Oklahoma State, playing in the Cotton Bowl against Eli Manning, who I guess in retrospect was, I mean, definitely a number one overall draft pick. You know, and loses to him by three. Um, yeah, I believe we went to that game, and that was one of my earliest memories. That what Jerry? It's that I gosh, God, I believe that was at um, the old Cotton Bowl. We, yeah, we were there Cotton at the Bowl, and. You know, again, I, I, I kind of laugh when, when fans make um, comments about what it could have, should have, and fishing, all that stuff. But there was, um, at the end of that game, they couldn't stop us. Ole Miss could not stop us. And and, and, and they weren't moving the ball at all. And there was a you know, third down and eight with about, um, I think, about a minute and a half left. And we were down by, like I said, a field goal. And Manning overthrows his receiver by quite a bit. And they called an interference call that, when you look at the highlight, looks pretty questionable. So, I mean, it, it was that close. We stop them there, and we're, we're just moving the ball and them like they're Swiss cheese. And that game, I think, would have – I think, you know, if, if we if we didn't commit the foul, if we actually did it, 
or if it wasn't called, I think we win that game. I mean, that was that was that close. It was a fun one to see. Yeah, was was a great one. All right, well, so who do you have at who do you have at three then? It's Rudolph. Um, uh, yeah. You probably guess who the top two are if I've got Rudolph at, at third, but um, but you know he he was the highest rated quarterback that we'd had come in that actually panned out and then lasted. We had um, you know what was his name Bobby Reed. You know, Blake, what is it? What? Bobby Reed. Bobby, Bobby Reed, Reed, the highest ranked quarterback ever. But um, Rudolph was one that um, you know we wanted and, and recruited forever. Got him out of South Carolina. And he played, you know, 30 games. He had some unbelievable games that um, that we rack up stats. He had some games that are, that are real question marks. So, like, how, how did that happen? And how did we still win, like, against Texas? You know, I went to two of those Texas games where he played fine at first and then played awful for um, two or three quarters. And we still won the game at Texas. I mean, uh, the defense and, and other players kind of rose to the occasion. He did have the one Bedlam win, and that was another one of those. You throw it up, and I forget our receiver's name from that year, but we had a guy then that was um, was only only a one-year kind of guy. The next year he came back and wasn't the same, but he just owned OU in the second half, and Rudolph would throw it up and go get it. But he he played with a lot of spirit, and he was a guy that, that had tremendous success. And it's – he's he, – you know, one more win against OU, one Big 12 – I mean, one of one or other things, he would be um, at the top of the list or at least um, one step higher. But I have him at three. Yeah, Ru- Rudolph for for me. So, so I'm curious. Yeah, because uh, the, we're definitely gonna have some differences here. Um, Rudolph for me is at, is at two. Um, with that being said, because we just talked about Josh Fields, who's who's I have at three. Um, lo- looking through, it's that that 2014 season is crazy. The amount of just incredibly good players were on that team, and like you said about Tyreek, you summed it up better than I could. Period. Um, but Juwan Seals, I think, is the guy here you're talking about who just had an incredible 2014 season, would come down with a lot of passes. But we also had, like, David Glidden, who, you know, I'm always going to give guys a lot of credit whenever they make NFL rosters, even if they don't break training camp. Um, you know, was one of those guys out there, J.W. Walsh, who's on staff with us right now at OSU. And then you've got other guys who are just big OSU names. Desmond Rowland, of course, James Washington. Um, is on that team, and then you've got Blake Jarwin, who was a starting tight end in the NFL. So there, there's so many guys. You know, James Castleman catches that amazing pass, basically, and then hits gets uh, uses his helmet as kind of a truck stick, and part of it gets dented or chipped off in the bowl game, in the Cactus Bowl there. But yeah, there's so many guys from that team. You know, Ramon Richards, and then of course Manuel Ogba and Trey Flowers, and I can keep going. Kevin Peterson. It's one of those where. 2014, man, if we had just started the season now with Rudolph, who knows how good we'd be. But at the same point, he was a, he was a true freshman. Like, we, he was not – it was not the plan to have him at quarterback. I mean, it was just was not. Right. Um, Dax Garman had nine games and had, you know, a, a bad completion percentage. But, like, it, it wasn't just from the start of, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? What are – you know, what's going on? It's like, no, there's a plan. We're going in Dax Garman. Um, wasn't something similar this year, but that 2014 team is, is one where I go, man, we had just done a little bit better, but we finished the season seven and six, stopped OU from going um, and being us in Bedlam that year, turned the lights off in the basement by yelling so loud one day and uh, on the Tyree kill, you know, uh, basically take it back for six and the whole pundit again, Bob meme started too. So um, oh good that, right, that, so. May, that may have been the best single play, uh, you know, yeah. that, that, kickoff return that may have been the most exciting play that that, that we had absolutely 
All right, so I think I know who you have at one. I'm pretty unsure, but who do you have at two? Spencer Sanders. Um, mm. I, I, you know, I, I think he's going to be a controversial guy as we look at it going forward. And I, I've heard more about some of the, you know, situation when he left and maybe kind of how he looked at it and, and, and moved out of the, the program. But um, that kid, he he played lights out and he played he played well in the biggest games, the comeback against Texas when they were, they thought they were going to have such a great year. I mean, I, I think he won three out of four against Texas, whatever it was, it was a very strong record against Texas and then against OU. I mean, that, the comeback, I wonder if that happens if he doesn't make that broken play run around the right end that goes in for a touchdown to kind of get us back in early in the second half and the Notre Dame game. Yes. He, he, he had a turnover kind of toward the end when um, he ran the ball and we, we, we had two turnovers. Actually, we had Presley fumbling on the on the goal line in the, in the uh, Fiesta Bowl in 2011, and then we I mean in a 2021, and then we had Sanders fumbling when we had the ball down inside the, the 25 that would have made the the ending of it less exciting for sure. But he got us back in that game against Notre Dame and and it played incredible. And the the Big 12 championship game is the one that I think people look at and are critical about, um, you know, the number of turnovers and kind of the, the lackluster play, but we, there were reasons for that. And when he was in, when he was in, I thought we always had a chance and I, 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 his success and his record was, was an incredibly strong matches up. I actually think that if, if he would have, um, if on that, on that last play of the, the Big 12 championship game, if he nudges out that at the if um, I think it was Jackson um, that, that ran that ball, if he nudges out that 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 uh, <laughs> defensive back for the two inches to get that, and we win that, he'd be in the argument with Whedon as to as to number one for me. I mean, he would be that close because it'd be two wins. It'd be it'd be a tremendous win, the Big Twelve Championship and a Big Twelve Championship game, and then the Fiesta Bowl was fantastic, and then his overall record. I mean, he, he would his record would be, would be up there near Whedon's. Yeah, he's he's a guy who you know I, I probably should have had on the list at least a, you know at least above Clint Shelf just because he does win a Bedlam game which I hold incredibly high um, my, in you know my mind he also wins a New Year's Six Bowl game you know, Fiesta Bowl too I and brings Oklahoma State back I I forgot he had fifty one attempts that game I mean he just just incredible how much yeah he was responsible for four touchdowns passing. Um, and he ran the ball for 125 yards too against Notre Dame, which is just incredible. But you know, I, I think for me, you're right though that that Baylor loss in the you know rematch of the Baylor game and Centurion World and that Big Twelve Championship game is really what and I think is kind of the final like like remarks for me, just because there, there's not really any other game that I look at on on his record and I go, man, that was just. You know, horrible. Except, for, except for actually the Kansas State game last year. The Kansas State game last year, he plays in most of the game, and then I don't know what happens. I mean, we lose forty-five nothing, and Sanders later on is injured at some point, or was already injured going in the game, or whatever it is. I, th- I think for him, you know, if he has a tell-all book or whatever at the end of the day, and you know, is able to kind of speak his his piece on it, maybe we'll know more. But Sanders almost view it as like missed opportunities. Whereas, because he just looked so dynamic when he was right, we could beat anyone. When he was when he was on, you know, we we whooped up on TCU sixty three to seventeen in twenty twenty one. Of course, the next year we lose in double overtime. But like we we blew out teams. BKU fifty five to three. It was nothing. And I know that's a different KU team than now. But 
Yeah, we just we just took everyone to the woodshed with him when he was right, and we beat OU 37-33, and Sanders has a ton of great st- – I mean, there's two picks, but I keep going on about him. I just guess for me it's more of he doesn't strike me as one of the top five. I'm trying to defend myself here of not having him in there because it's almost, okay, he was so good when he was on. But when he was off, it was bizarre. And it's really to the point where it's like was unexplainable um, of what was going on. But you know, looking back at it, you know, he he beats Miami in a bowl game in 2020 and has several other great wins. Uh, just is just is weird. It's just weird. His career at OSU, but I think we uh, I think we both have number one, Brandon Whedon, right? It's a consensus. Yeah, absolutely. And think about where he came from. He reminds me a little bit of Bowman in one way. I mean, he was, he, he was a he, he was such a sharp passer. He could zing the ball. He could place it anywhere he wanted to. He was so good at that. But he had a long layoff. From, um, from football. And I, I mentioned Bowman because when I think about next year, I mean, Bowman could really move up that list. And if he wins a Big 12 championship, Wheaton's the only one on this list that, uh, that has won a Big 12 championship. He is the only one that we can say has done that. And so that's why he, and he won it in incredible fashion by beating um, OU like a drum and somehow missing out on going to the national championship game when Alabama was picked, who didn't even make their, their, um, the SEC championship game that year. And they sat at home and watched OSU just pound um, OU into pieces. And that was a good OU team. You look at that roster and there are tons of players played in the pros. They were, had been successful all year. That was a good team. And OU just destroyed them. And that was when we didn't let off the pedal as much as maybe we did in other ones. And it was, it was impressive to see. And uh, so, so Whedon comes in after a layoff with Bowman. It was because of injuries. He had, I think he had a punctured lung like twice or something. It was just, crazy injuries and he didn't play a lot. He didn't play any at Michigan, but just mop up time. And then he had a couple of years with uh, the lost injuries. Bowman, I mean, uh, um, um, Whedon was, was in the, you know, playing baseball and he kind of came back and, and, and he went to both schools, both um, Stillwater and then Oklahoma and Norman first to see if he could walk on and play. And Norman said, no. And that's, I'm sure they look back at that and, you know, who would have known, but Gundy said, yes. And he sat on the bench and when we played, Colorado on his um, when in his sophomore year of eligibility, we played Colorado and we'd gone through two quarterbacks in the first half that were just ineffectual and they put Whedon in, in the second half and he did well and, and that kind of got him started the way he went. But um, just just amazing. The story is an amazing story that he actually came back and wanted to play college football after having been a highly as a Yankee in a New York Yankee organization baseball player. And then to see how successful we were. And he was blessed with a lot of talent around him, a really good defense. Um, a lot of things went our way, some, some you know, games and balls bounced the right way for us and played well. But th- that, was, that was the best year of OSU football um, in my life when you win a Big 12 championship. And I can't say that um, any other time in my almost 60 years. That's the only time that, that we've won a championship at that level. We shared a, um, a championship. Back in '74, when I was an OU fan, but we shared it with two other schools, and that was, you know, a great year, of course. But but this one was one we won it on the field, undisputed best team, looked good. We, that season, he played against quarterbacks that are still like a there are quarterbacks still in the league he played against, you know, even now. And and the the quarterback for A and M um, in in 2011 was um, Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill. 
And but you go down that list, that was the year that uh, the the Heisman Trophy was won. You know, you, you've got that that going to to a uh, um, RG three, and then down the list, Nick Foles is one of the opposing quarterbacks. The OU quarterback was good, um, and then of course in the in the bowl game, you're playing against Stanford, and you know Andrew Luck was. Um, it's not the most talented player over a two or three year period in college. He was, he was right up there with him and could have been a Heisman winner. And so you just look at that list of great talent that he played against. It, it was, it was great on all levels. And you add to it a really good 2010. And for him, that, that, that moves him up any list for me. Yeah. I mean, I really don't have too much to add on to that. Um, Whedon is the, the guy and remember when the, you know, winning the Big 12 championship and being OU in one day is, is my favorite sports memory of all time. Rushing the field afterwards, 44 to 10. You know, text from uh, you know, one of the uh, high school baseball coaches who knew me real well as an OSU fan saying, that's that's it, lights out, OSU's time is here. And, you know, really, I think that's that's the – if I'm putting, like, one one game is the, the Gundy era. It's, okay, you beat OU, you beat them comfortably by 34 points, 44 to 10. It's over. wasn't really up in the air, honestly, from the kickoff. So that is that is the game, and um, and you're right. We didn't coming in, and then you know, what I mean, he he got drafted in the league and did not turn out to be successful. But no Browns quarterback has been successful even up until this point today. So yeah. I mean, they've started four different quarterbacks this year. The Cleveland Browns have. So they had to pull a guy a retirement to win last night, and it's just uh, just. Just, just an awesome career for Brandon Whedon. Um, his, his one rushing touchdown, which I think is the fewest amount of any guy on this list we've named so far. But uh, overall, a twenty-three and three record is just incredible. And hats off to him. Well, um, uh, one yeah. one thing, just to give the guy proper due, the um, receiver that was so good back in twenty fourteen in the Tyree Kill game that kept us in it was Brandon Shepard. And he was a guy that, you know, just, I mean, he just was destroying OU that game. Really felt like a guy that, that, I don't know what happened to him the next year and kind of how it didn't work out, but he had a, he had a very special year. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, you know, we've got uh, two more things here. also want to talk to you about uh, OSU in 2024. So let's say let's say Bowman comes back. What do you think the ceiling is for, for next year? Let's say he does get a medical wet waiver. You know, as you just kind of mentioned, he, he was hurt when he was at Michigan, had some functional lung issues. Um, what do you think the ceiling is for 2024? I think I think our expectations should be far higher than they were coming into this year. And saying that, and that this is a 10-win team. Now, things have to break right, but we're not going to play OU. Um, we would have probably rotated to play Texas and OU next year. So we, we get those two games are off there. But, I mean, you watched OU last night play Arizona. We might be playing Arizona. Arizona was a heck of a lot better than OU last night. So, you know, OU, OU's leaving the conference is not the strongest. Maybe not even – I mean, really, the, in the last three years, they haven't been in the top um, group even. And, and so I, I think I think the teams we play may be more challenging than we might expect, but they won't have that that same kind of feel of, of dread or – you know, like this year, I think after the first four games – I was kind of dreading going to the Bedlam game. I mean, I would have to go because that's, you know, get the tickets and I'm a fan and I'm going to support the team. But I could just see it being one of those things where the crowd kind of dwindles into where it's, you know, a third OU and and uh, maybe even half OU. And we're, you know, we're all kind of fading out and they're just destroying us. And so I I, I would I would say that the if the entire offensive line comes back, 
if you uh, and you certainly have um, our one of our best receivers that we've had, most surprising ones, and and Rashad Owens coming back, he's going to be really good. If some of those younger guys like Stribling, who was supposed to be good this year, get in you know, a play and, and and look good, I like the offense better. And then Ollie is just uh, going to be an absolute beast next year, I would think. But with the offensive line, I think the offense will be considerably better. I, I'm kind of curious. We have three quarterbacks at least that could play. We've had one, you know, Rangel, and then we've got Flores, and then the, the new kid that's coming in that's um, supposed to be just all-world. So we've got three other guys. But with Bowman, I think that he gets even better next year if he, if he plays. And then the defense, you look around that defense, we lose some guys, and maybe some guys will go pro that we don't expect. Maybe we'll lose um, someone in the portal unexpectedly, you know, to a $2 million deal from Georgia. We'll lose – you know, Kendall Daniels or, or Oliver or Nick Martin or someone like that will get, get snatched up. But if a lot of those defensive guys, especially the defensive backs, are young, not just like juniors to be, but like sophomores to be. And so I see a lot of improvement coming on the defensive side as well. And I think the one concern I have next year is with Ollie. And, and I, I, I couldn't be happier about how he's playing. But do you remember watching Marcus Smart play basketball at OSU and just how dominant he was physically? He was the he was the biggest, toughest dude on the, on the floor. But then toward the end of his college career and then the pros, he started flopping a lot. And it became kind of what he was known for. Uh, he would just flop. The slightest touch, and would flop. And, you know, if, if I'm somebody that Ollie trusts, I, I go to Ollie and I say, listen, you don't want to be that guy. And he's done that a couple times, which, you know, did last um, two nights ago with the bowl game where he flopped and he was really getting, letting a bunch of knuckleheads who couldn't stay with him in a million years, get in his ear. So he was spending all that energy arguing and, and yelling at people, um, run over them. And they want to stand over you and taunt and do all that stuff. Um, get up, run over them again. Don't, don't do it with your mouth. And I know that some players get fired up with that kind of back and forth and they play a lot better. But it also distracts the team, and it takes some energy away from you to do that. And with him, I, I would just say, keep within yourself. Realize that you're going to be great, not good, great. You may go down. If I think about the, the greatest OSU personalities of this century, I can't think of in any sport any player that has the potential to be higher than, than, than he does next year. And I have Marcus Smart's the one that comes closest to me. So I, I'd say – just just rein that part of your personality in before it becomes a thing. And for every time you run the ball and you're, you know, flopping around and, and, you know, making a, a you know, arguments with everybody that, that, that can slow us down a little bit. Yeah. I, I look at the schedule for next year. The out of conference schedule is, is really kind of interesting. I would play South Dakota state and then Arkansas and then at university of Tulsa, um, the out of conference, the on conference schedule, which Arkansas, SEC team, they're, it's not going to be easy, but it's at home, which is nice. Um, at Tulsa, not a layup, but but kind of should be. Um, South Dakota State, I'm not sure, honestly, a bunch about them, but I would figure that being you know kind of an FCS school, I think it is, so probably good there. But when I look at the rest of the schedule, you're right. We, we play a lot of teams this next year that are, are not going to be uh, not going to be too easy. Um, Baylor, BYU, uh, got to go to both, both those schools, got to go to Colorado and Kansas state as well. Um, and then finish off the season at TCU. It's just not, not a great 2024 schedule on, on paper for us as a bunch of wins, 
But that's what I thought about this year, too, is I thought this year, oh, you know what? Besides OU, we've got a bunch of cupcakes. Like, oh, the UCF game, that'll be easy. Houston, oh, that'll be easy. And it turned out Houston, gosh, they, they, they gave us everything they had and more. And we barely ended up winning that one. And UCF, you already talked about that game a lot, so I need to go back over it. So when I look at next year, I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, all right, you know. We, we do, we do have five, at one point we played five road games in a row at Tulsa and then five weeks, you know, including that one in a row away before we come back. It's just, it's going to be a tough schedule. But then I'm thinking, okay, you know what? The toughest game in our schedule right now, at least on paper, looks like Utah. And I could be wrong. Could we could totally have it backwards, but that's a home game. That's nice. You know, I'll, I'll play Utah at home uh, for sure. And if Bowman comes back, Gordon's coming back. We know the whole offensive line's coming back. Wide receivers, I'm really curious. I mean, we've got Owens coming back and Stribling coming back, supposedly. So unless something happens with the portals, well, I'm saying supposedly there, that uh, that'd be amazing. And, and maybe Brennan Presley uses his extra year of eligibility to come back as well, too. He's said, quote, I'm on my own time as well. Now he's asked about it following the bowl game on Wednesday. So who knows? But then, like you said on defense, there's a lot of good guys. Nardo in his second year with the system, with the defensive staff. It's just got to get, it's got to only get better, I would think. But to your point, Ollie, love him to death. He has the Christmas Eve or Christmas Day video with Dr. Strum they put out of him coming back and staying at OSU and it being all really nice, kind, and sweet. But then watching him in the Texas A&M game, in the bowl game, just just a lot of interaction with the other team. Um, I think it's a nice way to put it. A ton of interaction with the other team. And you know what? I've I've never played well when they get under my skin. So I'm speaking from personal example. When the other people I'm playing against any sport, great. I've never played any sport close to what he has. But I just know it just it, it's not a good look. Not a good look. Not a good look for the university. Not a good look for yourself. And like you said, let, let your play on the field speak for yourself more than anything else. As far as ways, you know, as far as not charged away from your own team. Basically, just make sure that hey, you know what? I'm here to win. That's all I need to do. And after I win, I can step over you. I can flex on you. I can do whatever it is. I can say the funniest things in the press conference ever. I can do whatever props I want to in the press conference and have the most fun with it, et cetera. But we have the best uniforms, I think, in college football. Of course, I'm no, I'm biased. And we look the best on the field. Show up, play out, and play well. And that's all we need to do. So, To your comments, I, 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 I wanted to emphasize the, the one he said about Nardo is one that I should have said that that was a really good one because it takes a while to get your defense in and, and to have, a, and he was really kind of like, you know, the, the old adage about um, taking off on the plane and then trying to, you know, uh, fix the landing gear and flight. It's a lot like that. I mean, and you can see by his second half adjustments, that's what we're going to see next year is the way he adjusted at halftime will be the way he adjusts in the first half in real time next year. Cause he'll have those kind of reps. And I, uh, Brendan Presley, I mean, he is the, if I look at Mr. Cowboy, if you, if you just say who's Mr. Cowboy over a period of time, he's Mr. Cowboy. He, he is, represents the school so well. He's such a funny, interesting, when I, when you hear him talk, he, he just seems to, to have so much joy in his life and, and, and he's fun. And then his play, he's a small guy and he got destroyed against, um, against Boise State on a play. Um, that, that was a big play in that game we were watching together. And he comes back and then plays more. I mean, and, and he does that time after he's been hit a lot, but he's, he had you know, stitches on his cheek from an injury when he was doing post game after 
the um, after the bowl game. He he plays the right way, and if he comes back for another year, his niftiness is going to be, I, I think, just extraordinary. He could be uh, um, all Big Twelve player for sure, but he could be a fringe All American. He could be that other great player that's out there because he's good enough to be there. And I I, I would see him with Stribling and 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 Rashad being the three guys that really make next year possible. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. No, I totally, totally agree with you there too. All right. Well, we'll to wrap it up here. Um, just a fun, fun last kind of segment is we saw the pop tarts bowl game last night or two nights ago. I forget where they had a lot of fun with it. And then edible mascot. Everyone says now there's too many bowl games because so many teams are just playing. I think actually right now as we're recording, there's a, whole bowl game going on in the background of you know somebody's playing somebody too on a, a Friday afternoon. But I want to ask you here, what would the CGA Tour Bowl be? You know me better than anyone else in the entire world uh, as far as, you know, who who would sponsor the game? Uh, who's who's the, the Calvin Glenn Alexander, um, you know, bowl game sponsor? And, I, and I've got some ideas myself too if you want me to start. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll let you start, but I, I definitely, I definitely have a favorite, but it wasn't easy because there's so many that, I, that were going to be, that would be on the list. Yeah. I, I, I love the idea of what pop tarts went with, with the edible bowl and you know, kind of having um, a fun, like food sponsor. So I'm going to go by far and away. I mean, we've got all the Oklahoma state stuff all around us for watching this on YouTube. So guy by far and away, got to go with, um, it'd be, it'd be the Joe's cheese fries bowl. Um, just, you know, bacon, sweet pepper, bacon, cheese fries bowl. Um, would be it, you know, or the CGA tour presented by, you know, whatever, whatever it be. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Um, pop tarts might've been mine actually, cause you know, you got pop in there and then, um, they were introduced into the market in 1964. So here I was born in fact. Um, after going through a few others like cheese it and other ones for you, I, I decided that, that, the that the clear winner was going to be the electric bike bowl. Ah. You're such a fan of electric bikes. You just you're passionate about them. You love to see people on them. There's nothing like being out on a ride yourself, and and you know having a guy that that's um, neck and neck with you while you're pedaling away at, at 17 miles an hour, and he has his um, you know uh, system set at 20 and goes by you like he's accomplishing something. That just that's a special moment. I would like to see that. Now, you could ride an electric bike around before kickoff and and get the, wave to the crowd, do all that stuff. That'd be fantastic. Oh yeah, just, just a big, big electric bike fan myself. Yeah, not a not a fan of passing them whatsoever. That that's too good. That's too good. All right. Um, well, I guess I guess who's the the mascot? I, I would have a I would have a platter of Joe Sheets fries. Got to have the whole thing there. I couldn't do one fry itself. Would you? Yeah, then the mascot being a, a biker or something similar. What would you do? No, I, I would I would actually go with. Uh, so when 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 you were born, Cal had a lot to do with California, of course. But um, I was also a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan, so I'd have a tiger and it'd be orange mm-hmm. and black. So you'd have a little bit of all that going on too. So that seems that seemed to tie it together pretty well. Nah, that's too perfect. That's too perfect. All right. Well, well, in the last one here, I'd kind of out the podcast is, you know, who, where would, where would the bowl game be? Any fictional place or any, I mean, any, any place really. You know, it would have to be somewhere in, um, in central California. Maybe that would make a, you know, be a field out there somewhere near Santa Barbara where, um, you were kind of born and, and life started in Santa Barbara Ventura area. I think that's where it ought to be. Close to the ocean um, in California. And, and uh, I think it'd be a great weather, great place where you don't see a lot, uh, you know, that kind of activity. So it'd draw people to, to a pretty cool area of the country. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have it in, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys training camp in Oxnard, although that's not really on the ocean. So, you know, we've got to go Ventura High School or whatever it is, right? So, a yeah. uh, fun fun deal there. Would, uh, would love it, and I'm on the exact same page. Well, Dad, thanks so much for joining me here on the latest podcast and latest episode of the CJ Tour. Thanks, Cal. Go folks. Go folks. Catch you guys again soon. Thanks so much.